0: This podcast contains some very open conversations about parenthood and mental health, so there may be some content that listeners might find triggering or
1: upsetting. Please listen at your own discretion, and for help or support, look at the
0: episode description for resources. And please do. Asking for help was the best thing I ever did.
1: I'm Laura Dockrell, and this is Zombie Mum, a podcast that aims to normalise the conversation surrounding mental health and parenthood. Hearing voices from the perspective of both parents and children for some empathetic, compassionate, heartbreaking, heartwarming real talk. My next guest is Queen of Real Talk, Candy Sprathway. I have known of Candice for a little bit when I accidentally and very much not of my choosing slipped face first on the mummy blogger scene after experiencing postpartum psychosis. Sorry, did I tell you I experienced postpartum psychosis (laughs) and always admired and valued Candice's work. Things then publicly turned sour when Candice was caught in the spider's web of the mummy blogosphere. It was a horrible thing to see and Candice won the hearts of thousands when she proved to be an utter masterclass in grace, dignity and humour. But it was when we were invited to be on a Guardian panel together discussing modern motherhood that I totally fell in love with her and her lipstick. Candice and I have a lot in common. We've probably crossed literal paths without even knowing it. We both grew up in Brixton. We both went to the Brit school. And then I read her astonishing memoir, I Am Not Your Baby Mother, which released last year and it blew my head off with its honesty, power, purity and humanity. It is Candice, bottled into a book and begs to be chilled and drunk in a large goldfish bowl of a glass on the sofa alone. And it was inside these pages where I learnt that Candice has such a way with words, such a lightness of touch when handling the heaviness of life, the history of mental illness and suicide in the family. She seems to carry it all in her stride. Candice gets it and I knew there was no way I could make a show about motherhood and mental health without her. And so it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Candice Brathwaite.
0: So could we start with your pregnancy
2: of Esme or um, your first? Yeah, I got pregnant when I was, I think, 25 going on 26. Still relatively young in my mind, actually, although like from the black community, quite old. And it was a blissful pregnancy. I'd fallen pregnant after being like really addicted to running. So I was like the physically the fittest I'd ever been and pregnancy aside from morning sickness it was a really really great experience I was bricking it though just because we were so poor and I was like I'd had an abortion before that and I was seriously considering having another one because I was like oh man it's all right sharing a takeaway with your man in a one-bedroom flat when it's just you When you know no one's going to be crying out of hunger, you just get up and get on with it the next day. I was like, how are we really going to split this special fried rice three ways? Like, how? (laughs) I was like, I don't. I just don't know how we're going to do this. And I remember my granddad saying to me something along the lines of like, don't make a permanent decision based on temporary circumstances. You never know when your life can change. And he was like, you know, the rest will figure itself out. And that was coming from the man who raised me because my granddad raised me. And I was like, you know what? It will. And they won't be small forever. So pregnancy, even though it was blissful, I was just scared. I was really scared. I was like, I know right now I can't provide for this kid the way I see the whole world providing for theirs. And like, I'm going into mother care, looking at these push chairs and just walking out. I'm like... I can't afford this. We cannot afford this. So all of my fears were rooted in providing. Then I had her and the birth was abhorrent. It was a really terrible birth, which ended in me getting sick and then being separated from her for six weeks. So the first six weeks, I'm not with my newborn. She has to go and live with my stepdad and my mum at the time, because obviously my other half has to go back to work. You only get two weeks paternity leave and then sling your hook and we still don't have much money. And being separated from her, although it was sad, it did make me think, like, once I'm past this point, we're gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that this is her darkest moment. Because I was like, I cannot feel this energy again. So yeah, it was rough, man. Like, I love my kids equally, but the smoothness with which I had my son completely has affected those early days of bonding. Because my son's birth, elective C-section, so peaceful, so quiet, don't get sick, have a bit more cash. There is just an ease that my son even shows in his personality that Esme doesn't. Esme literally is an embodiment of that confusing, dark time. And I have therapy, and my therapist once told me about this thing of when babies are newborns, they have these synapse things in their brain and they use their mother's scent to keep those things alive. And if they can't find their mum's scent, the synapses break and they never go back together. And she, Yeah. And so Esme now, even at six, like if I don't leave her my full itinerary, a problem. Where are you going? What time are you going to be back? Who are you going to meet? What's the meeting about? Are you sure it can't be a phone call? I'm like, bruv, you're at school. Why do you care? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you care? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. I just need to know. And I, I told my therapist and my therapist was like, yeah, those synapses are always going to look for their mum or she's always going to have this idea that you're going to go and not return. And that is heartbreaking because I can't go back to that moment. Do you know, it's, so I was separated
0: from Jet, as you were separated from Esme, for two weeks. And it's funny because I'm I literally really resisting the urge to run down the living room right now and be like to my partner Hugo, see, see, <laughs> listen to Candice, because we've just, uh, Jet's nearly, will he will be three in February, we've just got him off the milk, right, for the night. And I was, which this one mum I met in the park went, just tell him no more milk and he'll just stop. I was like... <laughs> No, you don't understand. I can't just say to him, No more milk. And he'll understand. He'll kill me. Um He has a trauma around milk with mm. me. There's something going on there, like, because he was bottle fed, I think you say as well, yeah. like, Esme was yeah. bottle fed. And we all know we don't want to get into this breast is best whole saga <laughs> now. But like, you know, I said there's an emotional reliance, mm. like an addiction to milk, which is connected to trauma. So
2: you saying that, I'm like, I think that's right. Completely, completely. And the thing is, it's like, how do we as adults manage when we're forced away from our loved ones or someone dies unexpectedly? Like now put those emotions in a baby who can't even compute what they're feeling. Like, with Jet only coming up to three, like, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. And I I want any mum who's listening who has been through anything, even what they deem as semi-traumatic, you've got to cut yourself and the kids some slack. Like, I don't want to hear this whole, oh, detachment, this, oh, just pull it. No, 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 no. Because when our favourite show gets cancelled, we're weepy for a week. (laughs) So, you know, if Jet needs his milk, I'm like, come on, (laughs) like, if Esme needs to know where I'm going to be till she's 21, fine. This is the stuff, the information, the things they're going to need to make them feel supported. And that's what mothering and motherhood and parenthood should be about. And if for whatever reason that was snatched away from you, I think it's a really good thing to like take into account what that means to the kid as well, for sure.
0: But we see what we're doing, we're, we're flipping the script, we're changing that, acknowledging it and you're not letting that trauma continue, you're holding it, you're, yes. like, you're making space for it because that is how perhaps potentially, I'm not saying Esme specifically, but can create an, anxi- an anxious yeah. child, right? Because they're looking for their mum the whole time, that would make anybody feel really scared and insecure.
2: This is it, even her dad... I call him Papa B, he totally understands why she's like, I don't want you to put me to bed. I'm fine. It has to be mum. He used to fight against it for a bit, but now he gets it. He's like, I know you need to know that your mum's here. But then it's a tough one because my dad died when I was 20. So I'm like very aware of how life can box you upside the head. And I'm Mm. like, I'm really trying to teach her at the same time that if mummy dies, your world doesn't stop like that's not even up for consideration. I need you to understand that because I've seen what happens when a parent dies out of the blue or really young. And because she already has that anxiety, I'm like, as long as I'm alive, I will give you the info you need. But side note, I'm not always gonna be alive. Do you understand that? (laughs)
0: It's funny because I was just about to go. I love your self... You know, the compassion, it's so warm. And then it's, side note, I will not be around forever. Don't get used to this. Wake up. The stoicism is real.
2: This is the thing! (laughs) and you know I didn't even know what the name for it was and it's so funny you use the word stoic because I just started reading a book about it but that was my dad's personality 10,000 percent and I remember just being like going to the chapel of rest and really crying but also sensing him being like oh for god's sake kids I told you this stuff happens like get it together i know my son rj he's got a bit too much of it so i have to work in the opposite direction for him but for her i'm like babe even though i'm trying to create a life that i never had for you a fairy tale is not forever and All I can hope is that the privilege I've been blessed to give you makes your grief a little smoother or your hardship not as impactful, but I can't keep it away. So how are we going to manage it, you know, which is tough,
3: tough. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop, wondered what it is. Tough. I mean, I try and teach CBT to Jet.
0: I'm like, you don't need these sweets. You'd like these sweets. But anyway, here you have the sweets because I can't be bothered. And I nearly
2: died, so have whatever you want. Exactly. Exactly. And like you said, like, you know, having that moment to say, you know, I do deserve this or to not be so hard on yourself. But I can completely understand from a different perspective as the child of the mum who has fought mental health issues her whole life, how it's like I have to appear to at least be doing well. Because I know everyone's watching me. Everyone's watching for signs to see if, like, I'm going back to that dark place or if I can't manage. And it's like perform, 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 perform. But then when do you take that coat off and just be like, actually, me feeling blue today doesn't mean I'm going to go back into a psych unit like it's just the moment of now and it's about finding that balance which I think mums who have suffered with their mental health don't get to do often because it's like I just need to show you that I can look after my kid alone so let me not even say that I'm PMSing because you're going to read that as something else keep the face on keep the face on keep the face on Can we talk about
0: that dark place that you're talking about? Because when I went back to visit the psychiatric ward where I went, they said, you didn't even need to tell us that you hadn't had a history of mental health because it was written across your face. You know, you were so scared and bewildered not that it isn't scary no matter how many times you have it you uh i was going to say fortunately i'm really sorry because that's not the right word it's a, an upper hand maybe that you knew it existed like a yeah. kind of advantage that it was in your brain somewhere that you knew it was possible your your mum had yeah. suffered when you
2: were growing up yeah so she her one of her suicide attempts took place when i was in the house alone with her i think i was four or five. Top six, but I think more four or five. And so I've had to call the ambulance and then I get taken to my grandparents' house. But my nan and my dad don't want to use the word depression because they are from that aisle of black people who are like, that is not real. It's an excuse. You need to pray it away or work harder, all of that stuff. Whereas my granddad, the guy who raised me, completely wears his heart on his sleeve and it's like, no, I get depressed all the time and it's a real thing and I think your mum inherited it from me and some people manage better than others. like. And that was so crazy because like, my granddad's like 80 but has really forward-thinking views about mental health and is really open and cries at anything. Like His expressions are just always at the top and that was very important for me to see in the black community because all around me, I even had... We had a neighbour on my nan's street where both her sons committed suicide. And seeing all of that so early, like you said, massive head start. So when the blues crept in for me after having Esme, I was like, aye, aye, I know what this is. Oh. Yeah. How did you know? What was that first moment? I, I can't even... Do you know what it was? After the six weeks, I go to my stepdad's house and Esme just screams at me.
0: How old is Esme at this point? Like
2: seven weeks, just screaming. like. And then my mum picks her up, she's quiet. I go to feed her, she won't feed. My mum does, she's quiet. And that is when I I knew that I was going to like go into a dark place because I was like, I've gone through all this hell. I've almost died. I've been shut in a hospital room, couldn't see the kid. And that rejection, that very obvious rejection... I was like, hmm, yeah, this is going to get bad. And I just couldn't be bothered to do anything. Like, couldn't be bothered to wash. Interacting with her was like my idea of hell. I remember throwing a TV at Papa B's head. It was a small one, <laughs> I always tell people. But I, rem- <laughs> I remember, like, him doing something really annoying and me just unplugging the TV and throwing it straight at his head. And him... Like, ducking in time. I remember going out into the street in my pyjamas, screaming. And then my granddad calling me and being like, you're not well. And he was like, as someone who knows the signs of that, like, you need to accept it and find a way to process it. But I was so aware of what was happening. And I was also really aware of what happens when you ignore it. And I was, like, having mad intrusive thoughts, like oh, so what if she does just cry too long and then just doesn't wake up, you know? And that's a hard thing to even say publicly because I know so many mums will be like, oh my God, how could you? No, that's what mental health does at that point. Like, I can't sit here and lie to you. I was fully like, well, if one of us dies, we might all be better off. Full stop. Like no bar, no jazz hands, just like, ugh. Just, oh, you know? <laughs> I do know. That's exactly
0: how it starts, it's intrusive thoughts. It's like when I had intrusive thoughts or um, suicide and didn't really have as many thoughts towards Jet directly, but, mm. but mostly internal. But... It would be like I kind of need to organise a round table to discuss my suicide because I can't even do the monkey bars in the playground like how am I gonna do this thing because it isn't easy it's mm. like and it's scary you don't know where you would end up then you don't want to end up it's a complete trap and as yeah. you say the more we keep these intrusive thoughts to ourselves the more they boil to the surface the scarier they get the more yeah. they lock around you and they distort and warp you know you've what you just described then the what if the catastrophizing oh my god mine was out of control my catastrophizing was then what if this what if this what if this what was going on internally for you as you were saying when you were throwing the tv and screaming were you holding yourself close were you scared were you how were you feeling
2: i was really embarrassed i was really embarrassed because i'd always said to myself in that capacity i wouldn't become my mum So I was really embarrassed. The conscious part of me, the tiny slither of you that is always left. And some of us get lucky, right? If you have that slither left, that's where you can work to overcome bad mental health. So even having that, knowing that I could hear that girl in me who was like, oh my God, we didn't want to be here. I was like, right, there's hope. Because I can hear the real me inside underneath all these layers going, girl, why would you do that? Like, come on, pull yourself together. She was like right there. Um, and I just felt, yeah, mad embarrassed. And I felt like I failed. The week we brought her home, the week I fell sick, there was a night we had to choose between nappies and turning the gas on. We were down to our last fiver and we chose the nappies and we wrapped her in like extra blankets that night. But that failure I could predict, I had forecasted being broke. I was like, yeah, we knew this was going to happen at some point. But the mental illness aspect completely caught me off guard. And I was like, right, I've not prepared for this. I don't really know how to deal with this. I just know I don't want to get swallowed up by it. What that illness has done to the relationships between me and my mum or even a friend who died last year, um, it makes them really tough. And it makes me question love and support and the relationship in itself and I was like I don't ever want Esme to think that me throwing this tv or me running out on the street screaming is a reflection of how much or how much she thinks I don't love her so I need to gather myself but it was oh it was an uphill struggle because I can't imagine
0: the rejection that you were just describing because it's like, what they're the cure and the cause. They they drive you out of hospital. You're desperate to get back to them only to be met with. I <laughs> don't
2: know. Uh, like, who is and you're she? Like, you're like,
0: I'm I'm literally <laughs> clinging along alive for you.
2: This is and it. And then that. This is it. You know, I'm like, I, I think I only made it out of surgery because of that pull, that mother nature pull of like, <sighs> got to get back to my kid. Got to get, and then the kid is just like, I couldn't have did this without you. That was. That's how it felt, oh. you know. Oh, it's harsh. That's the thing. They're always
0: fine. <laughs> always. They're always fine. The baby's robust and resilient. We're the mess. Like
2: this is they're it. They're fine. Oh and my then, gosh. On top of that, on top of feeling low, on top of money, horrific body issues, and I don't want to blame anyone. I don't think anyone can can tell you how much your relationship with your body is going to change and just the squidge and the and I had a c-section and me feeling really out of sorts and I'm not even 30 I was like oh I, I can't do this but then also being met with in my community a lot of yeah but this is how it is it was gonna be rubbish. And why do you think all the aunties at every Christmas and birthday gather in the kitchen and just cast their lives? Like, and I was just like, this cannot be the end. Like, please, no.
0: And they say, and they say it's gonna be the best day of your life. Huh? The, oh! oh. <laughs> this is a much, this is a much better, we're in lockdown from today, guys, just we've been recording this. This is a much better day. This is a much better day. <laughs> What I also want to talk to you about, which I thought, oh, I just found it so refreshing to read. Because <laughs> from my angle, I don't even like taking a paracetamol. You know, the yeah. first day I got was told it's time for me to take some antidepressants. My parents have not been in the same room out of choice for about 15 years and they're sitting opposite going, take the pill. You know, they're agreeing mm. with each other. Me thinking that I was going to take it and automatically I was going to evolve like yeah. a gremlin when it takes a long time <laughs> for antidepressants <laughs> to kick in. Um but you kind of did it a bit I oh, went, you're a You've been a bit rogue. <laughs> you're a bit it? rogue. <laughs> you
2: oh st- oh okay <laughs> like really struggled to get a doctor's appointment and my mum was on fluoxetine at the time and she like moved like a mini dealer and was like oh <laughs> I'll just give you this little sachet I take two you take one Bob's your uncle and it kicked in quite quickly I'd say by week two I could note the difference, but I also felt like I was in a foggier version of myself. If that makes sense, like I'm smiling or I'm laughing at a joke, but it's not me. I know it's oh, not I hate,
0: me. I know what you mean. It's I've really had hard it. to like
2: explain. A, was it um,
0: like depersonalization, yes. where you you feel like a puppet? You're like, or yes. well, behind a screen. It's so hard to put into yeah. words, but I know exactly what you mean. I've had it. You're like, you you move your arm, and you're like, why are you moving your, your arm? <laughs>
2: It's horrible. <laughs> and I'm it's like, horrible. is that me? And you're looking in the mirror, like, no, it, it is yeah. me, oh as people god. see. No, no, it. I know it. I know it. And yeah, yeah. Everyone noticed a change, and that's what made it hard to be honest. Like, Bodé was like, Oh, you you know, you seem so much happier, and, and I'd speak to my friends and they're like, Oh my god, you're not crying, well done. But deep down I know it's like, yeah, because I'm literally illegally taking someone else's medication. And if I stop, (laughs) everything's going to fall apart. You know what I mean? And the saving (laughs) grace of, like, body finding those tablets and me then being able to go to my GP and have a conversation and come off of a medication that, even though it helped me right then, I don't think it was for me. I was like, actually, I just need someone to talk to. And I'd fallen pregnant at this really odd time in my life where... My friends who had had kids had them at 16. So like their kids are now 10 or whatever. Or my other friends are like getting married, studying for their master's, like doing it the traditional proper way, whoever says that. And I'm in the middle with this newborn, couldn't afford to go to NCT um like normally the only black mom in very white spaces not much money so i'm not going out anyway so feeling very isolated like it's just me with esme six to eight hours a day and i just realized oh i need someone to talk to i need to make an effort to go out i need to make an effort to find friends you know and like That plan of your kid wakes up and you're so sure you're going to go to like a mummy group that day and then they do one thing that throws off your meticulous plan and it's curtains. You're locking the door, you're staying in because you're just coming out of this fog, you're dealing with mental health. If that plan is not followed to the letter, I can't manage, I can't manage, I can't stand at this bus stop and two buses go by and be filled with buggies because I'm just going to go back home. Everything was so magnified that talking about it makes me so emotional because I just couldn't enjoy my child or my day at all, to be honest.
0: I think people underestimate that, you know, when they say, oh, you know, you're new, I got told that. Is it your first? As if it was just like, oh, it was my first. I wasn't prepared for these nappies. It's exactly as you say, a basic thing, going to the supermarket without fi- all that. Coming with you yeah. is a luxury, it's a privilege. I wanted to go to baby groups too, you know, and to fit in. It's like, no, because everyone, I'm so tired. It's like, no, but you're not so tired because you're on sedatives or because you're um, hearing 5,000 voices today, yeah. which I've never experienced before. Um, and I thought you did a really good job, actually, I wanted to say earlier, I forgot, of describing that voice in you. Because what more proof do you need that you're hearing a voice than even if it is a slither of yourself going, whoa, can we come back here now? You're still looking at the mirror going, am I Matt? Oh, great, great, Laura, Candice, you've cracked now. It's like, what do you want it to sound like? You know, it's like... the same. I always think of it with my period. I thought when my period come is it was going to be like that lift scene in The Shining where the blood gushes out and it's just like some black little black beans like, in your knickers. And you're like...
2: Oh, <laughs> but it's like, what more do you, what do you think? <laughs> this is it, this is it. And especially when you come from a space or communities who just don't want to recognise certain stuff. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is tough. And I had, on top of all of that, Esme is born on the day my dad died. And I've, I'm have i only oh. just processing the grief. And Esme's coming up to seven now. So even having around those dates, it was just all a bit much
0: yeah it's a lot but you know we forget this don't we like you were doing it when even when you're in the hospital you're still being a mum you're still doing it I would say to my mum I'm not being the mum you know mm. that I need to be she's like you're there you're doing everything but you're just you're not
2: yeah this is it even with books like ours it does make me scared for the reality of mental health in pregnancy and childbirth and how many women are perhaps reading books like that in secret or listening to a podcast like that in secret because for whatever reason their lives have been perceived as so perfect for a really long time and so the fear of publicly falling apart now it's like oh that is not an option but baby girl it's also not an option to like have your kid taken away from you Or for you to get to such a bad place that you do yourself or the kid harm. I always try and drive that home as well. And like to just be on social media, surrounding yourself with images of people that if you were a fly on the door in their living room, your mouth would fall open. Like it's all so fake. It's all so contrived. And it's like, do yourself a favour, put that phone down and just get the help. It doesn't make you a failure, you know? And that that
0: actually is the bravest thing a person can do is asking for help, saying actually I'm finding this really hard. You know, I was lucky enough to meet Michelle Obama, right? And um, <laughs> I know. And I answered the phone to one of my friends in the toilet. I went, I can't talk. I've just met Michelle Obama, and she rings Hugo. She's like, she's gone again. <laughs> she thinks she's met Michelle Obama. <laughs> it's like I love that though, because I'm like, oh my god, the relief now that that's happened. You know, it was so bombastic and huge what yeah. happened. Yeah. But people couldn't fail but notice I got the help I needed. It's that low level domestic that you see them in the park, dead behind the eyes. Yes. And you think you're, you're doing it, you're functioning, but you're suffering.
2: Yeah, and I see it all the time. And um, when we were allowed out, I was the first person in the coffee shop to, like, say to a mum, oh, no, I'll hold the baby as she is chaotically looking for the person you know she's left at home and she's got tears in her eyes and the queue's building up and people are sighing. And I'm like, I completely get it. So I'm just gonna hold your kid and tap my card and we're going to sit down and you're not going to break down in front of me because I'm a stranger. But it's that it's holding space for people in that moment. And I think only mothers who have been in that place can you can see it a mile off on other women. You can see it. And in those few seconds, I'm like, OK, what can I do? Right, I'm going to hold this and I'm going to have all of that.
0: Because, gorgeous girl. Oh.
2: No, it's those tiny things that make such mean, a difference. Yeah. You know, you see those absolute a-holes who you see a mum at a tube stop struggling with a chair and grown men who go gym are walking past her. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> and then there's me with my toddler, like helping her. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, and then you get to the top and they always say they always say oh and this is why I didn't want to come out and it's that for me it's that I'm like yeah you feel trapped based on where you live or the money you don't have you feel like the outside world is not for you and that was like a very cutting feeling I felt the first time around for sure which
0: goes back to that whole thing, doesn't it? Of like, oh, as a the most thing that I've been having this period for or preparing for, whatever in my life psychologically, has been going on since the dawn of time. I can't do it. Yes, I'm not maternally able, so I come last in the athletics of child. Yeah, bearing S- simple,
2: simple. So, and then then it just and then it just feeds the cycle again. This is it, and it started with I look back now, and it starts with like for me not being able to have Esme through my vagina it starts with that it starts with surgeons like tutting because you're begging for a c-section and so I've been on this trip for 19 hours with no food strapped to a bed like it's the 1800s and I say I want my abdomen cut open and you're pissed off make it make sense When I got pregnant with RJ, my previous notes were obviously so horrendous that they were like, oh, whatever you want. But one midwife was like, we would usually like push you for V-back. And the look I shot her, I just thought, are you having a laugh? Because no, C-sections aren't traumatic at all. Trying to do your first shit after a C-section is not traumatic at all. No, it's very easy. Like, I don't want to hear breast is best. I don't want to hear if you didn't push, it's not true. I don't want to hear any of that. Because the kid gets to 18 and no one asks how it came out. Sunroof, vag, no one cares how it was fed. It's all this stuff in the moment to make other women feel bad. And I hate it. Surely it's
0: the least... I hate it too. Looking back, I was such a passenger in my labour. I just was going... At one point, I said to my mid... Well, one of my thousand, a thousand and one midwives, I was like, have you eaten? Have you eaten? That's what I said. Have you eaten? (laughs) I'm like... (laughs) It's just like... But I realised, looking back, it was survival, I think. I was trying to make friends with absolutely everybody Mm. there because I was like, these people are in charge of my child and my destiny, so I bet for my
2: fanny's sake i better suck up really hard yeah that make friends that energy when it's like you should be your most primal your loudest your most animalistic but then especially with your first child you just go in so naive and like these big dear eyes and you're like who's gonna help me who do I need to befriend to save me and that is you know for all the greatness that the NHS do that is a problem we have within maternity and you know the data speaks for itself with black women like why do they die more but I hear just as horrific and similar stories with women of all races where they go in to have a kid and it's like why should it feel like you're going to war I I don't get it
0: I mean, I've not experienced on the same level as you writing about motherhood and your experience, but I feel like with having a mental illness, I've never had what Now that is just side by side with me. You know, I have a mental illness. That's part of my script, my life. The pressure maybe sometimes I think, oh, do I have to stay well? Like, do you find Mm -hmm. that with like being a mum that you have to always, as you say, you've got days when you do just want to swear at them or, and you know
2: yeah 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 be yourself yeah and even when I started writing about motherhood the perspective was always different because like I don't come from a ton of money and we weren't married and I was doing it in a space where I didn't see any black mums and I was like actually I can't pander to this stripy topped 400 pound bob lifestyle because it's not even where I'm from it's not even actually where I'm from like motherhood is the thing that ends your life as far as we know in my community it's like you have a kid and then you're just pissed at that kid and the kid's dad forever full stop So to just even see, like, to see women making money from being mums, my mind was so blown because I was like, where I come from, this is like a death sentence to your womanhood. And it's mad, though. Everyone knows it's a death sentence, but also you get to about 27 and people think you need IVF. Because they're like, well, where we're from? You should have had a couple by 20. I know it's going to be the end of you, but why aren't you doing that? You're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And when I came into like motherhood blogging, I never lie about this. I was like, this is going to be the catalyst that changes me and my family's life. I wasn't here to make friends. I wasn't here to like compete because I couldn't even compete because I was coming from a completely different arena. Forget race like what is this idea of motherhood doing to women who are working class who can't afford a pushchair that costs a grand and a half who can't exclusively breastfeed who can't afford strictly vegan food like what is this perpetuation of be perfect be glossy have a kitchen reno la 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 what is that doing to women who come to social media in those really fragile moments and don't think their version of motherhood is validated. Like it was very mind blowing to me. And in some ways it still is. I feel like I've left that well behind for good reason but it does make me still think about the women who are having babies now like when you come onto social media how is this idea of perfection leaving you feeling
0: babe you are saying so (laughs) so many things I'm like "Uh, uh." um so first of all like the the first time somebody saying to me the birth of your baby is the death of you Mm. and actually I literally wanted to snog her I was like that's the most (laughs) real thing I've heard and then you'll always meet someone in the park go yeah but then you get reborn and I'm like Yeah, you get reborn, but then you die again. And they're like, but then you get reborn again. You're like, no, you don't. You just die. (laughs) Like, that's it. (laughs) You're just a walking ghost right now. A mummy, literally an actual mummy with bandages going around with your brain pulled out from your nose. Um, But
2: you were saying that mummy blogger thing is is dead, basically. Yeah, dead. Dead, 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 dead. Dead. I'm just like, if anyone calls me a mummy blogger now, I get part offended, part embarrassed, because I'm like, I don't want to be part of a catalyst that makes other women feel bad or other people feel bad. And that's what that arena was doing. Also, I can speak from experience that it was one of the most cutthroat spaces I've ever worked in. A large portion of these women weren't friendly. They always thought you were out to snap their bag. Like, just the bitchiness of that. It's based on the premise of doing this thing that lots of women in the world do. And we should all be togetherhood, sisterhood. That space knows nothing of the sort nothing so unlike if a woman has a child now and wants to come and use social media to start a career great but do not identify as a mummy blogger please because a bit like the word influencer a few bad ones have spoiled the whole bunch and it's like we can't go back on that because it's not everyone but there are a few notable people who have spoiled that title forever So I'm just like, okay, let's be done with that. And also let's make women and people feel like you don't need to start a blog or your content or images don't need to be glossy. Everyone's got a story to tell. Give them the space to do that. Like, that's where I'm at now.
0: How does it feel for you having this book out? Because you must have had an amazing reaction.
2: Oh, do you know what? I always tell people, I tell the story really quickly. I didn't want to write this book. This was like, <laughs> I was, I am not your baby mother's <laughs> biggest hater. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is I'm trash. sorry, baby mother, I'm not going to write it. How about that? This is trash. No one's going to read it. Even a week before like it being published, I was like, oh, hate it. Don't talk to me. Yuck. And then, like seeing people's reaction I'm very down with like the woo-woo and the spiritual and I am very of the school of thought that I am just like the vessel for that book. I liken it to giving birth, knowing that I'm giving the baby straight up for adoption. So I wrote it, I toiled over it, I did the painful labour, but the documents were already signed. I'm not your baby mother doesn't belong to me in the slightest so to see like women literally hold it like a bible because it speaks to them, or for like my ex text my man and was like, raw. I didn't know she was such a good writer and more to the point. I feel like it's something that should have been in my sociology class. People are like clinging to it in that way, which trust me, when I was listening to Kano pouring over the manuscript, it didn't feel like anything anyone would want in their education. I was like, where the hell is that come from? I'm a bit starstruck. I'm in awe of that work. Because I'm like, I don't even know where that came from. And I also feel the pressure of like having to do that again. And I'm like, please don't expect that again. Because I just think that in that moment, the universe was like, this is what women who look like you need most. Can you put that in your car and get it to point A? I've done my bit now. Even the mere idea of accolades, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. And not because I'm fake humble, but just because I'm like, I just told the truth and it's not even my singular truth. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? This is a million voices we're hearing in a 300 page book or however long it is. So I feel a bit like I'm having an out of body experience now. I'm just like, this is the shit I've heard my auntie speak about forever. This is the stuff you hear women crying about when you pass them in a coffee shop. This is not some new thing, you know, but... I know what it was like to fall pregnant and have to get books from America that were speaking about Black motherhood because Black Britain had not published a singular thing by a Black woman regarding motherhood. I can't believe that we've just got that moment in 2020. I'm just like, do you know how many thousands of books I can get about motherhood written by women from more privileged backgrounds or who have that perfect setup? I'm like, This book clearly transcends race because I wrote it at a time where, like most of us, I had my kid not having 300 grand in the bank for their uni fees, you know, and I'm just like, I'm going to have this kid and in the moment do the best I can. And I just hope to God some people understand that that's enough. It's more than enough, boy. (laughs) Um, so quickly, you
0: said on that panel we did together that no is themselves, you know, for that first two years. I was just passing that point with Jet, and it did for a second make me think, maybe I just should have hung on and the psychosis would have just gone on itself. <laughs> <laughs> own. I in the two years bracket, but it's so true. And I'm using that, you know, my sister's got her uh, just turned one. I'm like, just hold on because yeah. it's right. Those decisions, it's like when people that believe in that Mercury stuff and they go, don't buy a house, <laughs> don't do that. I'm like, yeah, don't do anything as well in those first two years. Yeah,
2: the first two years of having a kid. And I can say this now with the lessons of having trauma and depression and with the lessons of having a calmer birth and having some money saved, that those two years still exist, that it's not until RJ turned two, I was like, oh, I feel like myself a bit. I feel like I wanna go out. I feel like I wanna wear the clothes I was wearing before I was pregnant. You know, and even if we've got to go up two sizes, it's my style again. I'm not pretending. I'm not like I'm back to myself, but it's always two years. And I don't know what that is. And when I speak to friends who are like their fourth kid, they're like, "Yep, we just got to wait it out. Soon as the kid hits two years, then you just see bigger slices of yourself if you're having intrusive thoughts or you want to hurt yourself or your kid, we're not waiting two years for that. That has to be dealt with immediately. If you're in Mm an abusive relationship, we're not waiting for Mm -hmm. that. But I'm talking about the things like not feeling sexy, like not wanting to go out with your friends, like feeling as though if your child doesn't always come before you, that you're a rubbish mum. All of that starts to like be chipped away when they turn two. And now I know that if I leave the house and my kids are with their dad and one of them are crying I'm not a bad mum because I keep walking but before they turn two I'm like okay I should turn back now but you know it takes time
0: and just lastly what would you say to that little girl that punched 999 in that
2: your mom that time. What would you say to what her would I now? Say? I'd say I'm really proud of you. I don't know how we got here, but I'm really proud of you. Also, I would tell you that the way you were mothered doesn't define your version of motherhood. That's really important, and I grapple with that in almost every therapy session, and not just in a way of like trauma, but I feel guilty sometimes for providing the life I can to my children. And I'm like, why do you do that? It's like, don't box yourself in. Just because you saw so many traumatic things or you lacked in many ways, doesn't mean you need to repeat the process to prove that you're a real mum. It's like, ah, oh, I have to attain this level of struggle so people know, no, 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 sweetheart. We're done with that. How about you mother from a place of peace and abundance and see where that gets you. I'm very interested to see how that will end.
0: And even as a little girl, you're asking for help.
2: Yeah, definitely. Always asking how cool for help. Is that? Yeah, always asking for help. And not being shy to, like, confront sticky situations. Because this book has cost me a lot. I'm Not Your Baby Mother has cost me a lot. It has made me a pariah in many ways. But even though in the interim it hurts to hear certain things or it hurts to feel rejected by your own community in some ways, it's like I may never know the amount of people I'm freeing, so I'm just going to keep asking for help and telling the truth very, very loudly and let the chips fall where they may.
0: Candice, you are a hell of a woman, boy. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you to myself, I'm not going to lie. Now I've got to share you with... (laughs) people thank you candice you absolute babe
2: thank you that was wicked if you have been affected by
1: any of the themes in this program head to the episode description for resources and helplines zombie mum was produced by b duncan with original music by hugo white it was mastered by ben williams the executive producer was hannah walker brown this is a broccoli production Next week, I'm talking to Denise Welsh. Here's a sneak peek from our conversation. I felt proud of myself that I'm a survivor. You know, I wish I'd been kinder to myself. I wish I hadn't worked through all the pain because you know, there is an element of the show must go on, that's in our DNA as performers. But sometimes the show doesn't have to fucking go on. Your life has to go on and that's more important.